HRN listeners. As we celebrate our 15th year, we are deepening our commitment to giving voice to the next generation of food system storytellers, and we need your help. Our internship and fellowship programs help activate new possibilities for underrepresented and underestimated young people through experiential journalism, audio engineering, and production training. Through these unique programs, HRN helps food equity stewards build essential workforce readiness skills that expand their potential and foster economic mobility. Please consider supporting these critical programs. And with a minimum donation, you can be entered to win a dinner for two at an amazing restaurant in one of eight cities and tickets to a concert at a great venue in one of those cities. We have incredible partners across the country who have donated as they also share our passion for helping to educate the next generation of food system storytellers. Check out heritageradionetwork.org 15 to donate and enter to win today. That's heritageradionetwork.org 15 to donate and enter to win today. And make sure you donate before March 31st. Thank you. Today's program was brought to you by 100 Bogart Street, the brand new co-working space in Bushwick, Brooklyn. Learn more at 100bogart.com. You're listening to Heritage Radio Network. We're a member-supported food radio network broadcasting over 35 weekly shows live from Bushwick, Brooklyn. Join our hosts as they lead you through the world of craft brewing, behind the scenes of the restaurant industry, inside the battle over school food, and beyond. Find us at heritageradionetwork.org. Wonder what kind of food tech trends are happening in Germany and Europe? Stay tuned to this episode of Tech Bites. Hello, hello, Heritage Radio Network listeners, tuning in from 150 countries around the world. That's about a million listens a month. Tuning in today, Thursday at 11 a.m. on January 25th, 2018 for the 125th episode of Tech Bites, the weekly show where we talk to innovators and influencers in the food tech space. And today... We are talking with Fabio Zimson, who is the Director of Food Innovation at the Metro Group in Germany. He's going to be sharing with us what's happening across the pond in the food tech space in Europe. But before we get to that, we will start this episode, like we start every episode, talking about apps, new ones you've discovered, old favorites, something practical, something secure, something fun, something frivolous. And we will start off with, today playing the part of our engineer is Vitor Hirsch. Vitor, Happy New Year. We haven't seen you yet this season on Tech Bytes. Feliz Ano Novo. Okay. <laughs> That's uh, Happy New Year in Portuguese. This is, this is going to be our multilingual episode. I can, I can hear it coming. Yeah. We should do an episode with you in Portuguese. That would be great. I don't speak Portuguese, but I could probably but find someone who can. There's a lot of Portuguese chefs and Portuguese people in New York City. You speak French though, right? I do. Yeah, so it's uh, you, you, you have a, an easy time picking it up. It's on the continent. Correct. Yes. <laughs> so Vitor, do you have an app for us that you like today? Yeah, I'll, I'll, uh, lately I've been using uh, the WeTransfer app a lot. Uh, I don't know if uh, you're familiar with WeTransfer, but I do 
well, I do audio work and I have to send clients, you know, mixes and uh, things that I record. So WeTransfer is a great website for that, for transferring files. And they have a really cool, easy to use app um, for the iPhone and Android, I guess. But um, yeah, and it's very easy to manage files on the go and uh, send people big files even, you know. And I have this uh, the Pro account, which is 20 gigs that you can send over. And uh, that's a lot of that's a lot of recording that you can send to people. Well, you know, I'm familiar with the website and the service that mostly I've used via email, and I didn't know that they had a mobile app. So that's really good to know. Right? Yeah, it's super easy to use, and uh, yeah, it saved me so many times uh, when I had to send things last minute, and uh, and I was I only had my phone, so that's great. Fantastic. Okay, so we transfer. You use them for audio files, but I can imagine it coming in handy for videos and photos and giant presentation decks and all that kind of stuff. Right. So, Fabio, is there an app that you really like right now or something maybe that you're using while you're traveling internationally? <laughs> are the apps different in Europe than they are here? Yeah, I mean, there are a lot of apps in, in, in Europe, but uh, to be honest, my favorite one at the moment is uh, the Meetup app. Because it helps me, on the one hand, to manage my own communities and to to write uh, the messages to people who ask me um, uh, regarding several meetups. But it helps me also to find peer groups in new cities. And um, if I'm traveling through the world and I'm uh, in, a, in a city where I don't know nobody, and uh, then I find a meetup group and I meet new people. And it helps me to expand my network a bit. Thanks for, uh, of course, also for the invitation to, to the show today. Well, it's always nice to have people from other countries and other places. Um, being in New York City and being in Bushwick, Brooklyn, is a great place for food tech because so much is happening here and also it's a place where people come to visit quite frequently. So it's always nice to take the opportunity to talk to people from outside the city and outside the country mm. to see what's happening in other places. Sometimes we get so focused on what's happening in our own backyard because it's such a rich environment that um, we don't often need to go very far to book the show. So it's great. I'm, I'm glad you got in touch and we're happy to have you. My app this week is something that's also related to travel and it's also related to that terrible government shutdown we had earlier this week. I had a, an appointment on Monday to go see uh, customs and immigrations to have global entry for my passport for when I travel internationally. And I showed up at 8 o'clock in the morning to my appointment and there were a bunch of people waiting and the office was closed because the government had shut down and passport services are non-essential. And it didn't even occur to me when I was on my way to the office to even look at it or even think that that was going to be a part of the services that were not open um, because of the government shutdown. And I thought, okay, well, here it is. <laughs> but a little research. Um, there is an app called Mobile Passport, and it is authorized by U.S. Customs and Border Patrol. And it's not exactly the same as Global Entry, but it will allow you to fill out some digital forms and answer some questions, and it will approve you and give you a QR code to scan at customs and it'll let you pass through one of the express lines, mm. which is oh. always helpful, which is, I think, something everybody's looking for when they're at the airport, an express line. 
So I'm going to give it a try, mobile passport, because my global entry attempt was foiled by government shutdown. Uh, yeah. <coughs> so as we said, Fabio is visiting from Germany, and he heads up a food innovation group and is really involved in bringing startups and new products into the retail environment. So I guess the first question to ask you is, what brought you to the U.S.? Was there something specific you wanted to see? Did you just want to come out and have great pizza at Roberta's? Yeah, this was the main reason. <laughs> <laughs> no, I was uh, in San Francisco uh, at the Winter Fancy Food Show, and uh, I met there a lot of people, Danielle, Mike from uh, Food Tech Connect and Alpha Food Labs, and uh, also another people from, from International. Lots of Food Tech guests. Yes, a lot of Food Tech Lots guests. Lots of Tech Bytes guests. Yes, and it was really a, a great show. Um, I... I get to know a lot of people. We went also through the city. We uh, we got into a really cool retail store. It's called uh, By Be Right, uh, a very good one. I think it's in the Mission part of San Francisco. No, and the winter fancy food fair in general was very good for me to get a status quo of the CPG and FMCG development in the US and uh, also to see what kind of products are in which way how uh, communicated. What were some of the things that you saw that really surprised you or were standouts? Did you see things that were really new and innovative that you hadn't seen before? Um, I mean, of course, uh, things that I hadn't seen before in, uh, were, for example, the whole uh, CBD uh, edibles. There were a lot of CBD edibles at the uh, San Francisco, uh, San Francisco uh, Winter Show. and um, But, of course, there were a lot of startups um, with um, uh, alternative proteins. and um, Alternative proteins. Yeah, algaes or mushrooms and uh, or, for example, everything that's... Um, um, insect-based, and for me, especially for this new end-to-food um, assortment, it's absolutely interesting to see how it's communicated in in the U.S. And I see that it's most of the time very functional communicated. Where I think um, in Germany, especially, there are a lot bigger barriers uh, to communicate it in the in the right way into the society. And this is uh, what we are trying with our program to bring this kind of new food solutions in the right way um, with customer feedback on a customer demand base in the, in, the, in, in, in the shelves. Well, I think, you know, talking about communicating the message to customers, alternative proteins is an interesting subject because they really fall into two different categories. You have alternative proteins where it is a food product of something that already exists in nature. You have algae and seaweed, which is a big trend right now, and we're putting together a show actually for Tech Bites um, later in February. We're mm. going to do a roundtable on algae and seaweed because wow. I do think it is one of the trends for 2018. Um, insects, seaweed, you know, mushrooms, different kinds of proteins that exist that maybe people hadn't thought about eating, where you have... Um, companies presenting them to the public in a different way, in a new way. So that's something that's interesting and, and kind of changing the perspective of the way people think about food. Most yeah. people who eat seaweed probably only eat it as a snack or on sushi, and they mm. probably don't think of it so much as jerky or smoothies or things yeah. like that. <laughs> but I think the, uh, the other category, uh, which to me is much more techie, is the 
alternative proteins, but things that are being created in a lab. And we had a little bit of a conversation about this um, when we spoke before the show, like the the meat alternatives, like an Impossible Burger, which has been on the show before, those types of things where uh, chefs and scientists are creating protein alternatives in a lab. So those are two very different storylines, I think, um, but both require convincing the public to try something new, to eat something new, and um, sort of assuring them that, one, it's nutritional, two, it's good for the environment, and three, you're going to like it. Yeah. <laughs> yes, it's a really, really good question, especially when we are talking about in vitro meat or lab-grown meat. Um, um, when will be the time that uh, it gets usual? And I had a lot of discussions uh, within the last three or four weeks uh, or uh, three days here in, 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 in New York and San Francisco, but uh, um, also in, in Germany, we have a lot of discussions about this topic. And um, yeah, I mean, why should it be necessary to use lab-grown meat if you have very very good plant-based alternatives like beyond meat impossible food and uh, this is really um, a big question but on the other hand i t uh, tested uh, the first time oh no no not it was not lab grown meat but also the scrambled eggs products from from hampton creek and this was really really delicious and uh, i can tell the development is going very far but to be honest when it comes to lab grown meat uh, meat um, i think it's really um, it, it can be just argued over an economical value, and um, otherwise it will be very, very difficult to to yeah to educate it or to translate it in a normal society that your your chicken breast is now built in a factory and not in uh, in, in a, uh, on a farm. <laughs> How important are these storylines to the German consumer? In the, in the United States, Americans are increasingly interested in knowing exactly how things are made, yeah. um, what the um, price and costs are, not just financially, but also in terms of the environment. People are very interested in chemicals and preservatives and all those kinds of things. Do German consumers care about those things as well? Yeah, absolutely, absolutely. I see a, a big trend there that uh, food consumption is more and more value-driven because you, you identify yourself with the food and you're with a certain kind of peer group. So and when you say value-driven, are you referring to a financial value or are you referring to sort of an emotional, social va would, value? Yeah, I would more say, uh, say an emotional, uh, social value. That, for example, um, that if I... If I eat vegan food, for example, I feel very connected to the vegan peer group or the same with uh, paleo or there are certain other uh, groups there. And the topic of really having an authentic food experience becomes more and more important for German customers. Of course, the Germans um, um, also buy very, very functional. That's why discounters are so successful in Germany where you are very, very price driven. But you see also there a change. So the, the German society has developed really far and, and, and is now looking also into good food. There were a lot of discussions within the past 10 to 20 years. We had a lot of big, um, how do I say, there were some um, big uh, crises in, in, the, in the food system. 
but it gets more and more obvious that our current food system is broken in a way and so many people are really looking for a good food experience they buy their their uh, their products at a farm they buy their products on a on a on a on a market and they are looking for the same attribute of course in a in a brick and mortar store of a retailer and there's now the important thing how can you communicate um, this kind of attributes related to product in the right way to the customer that they have the feeling that there is a connection that they get the feeling that there is a transparency a traceability to the product and that they have really something that's uh, yeah um, that, that's that's true well i would be curious to hear your thoughts on how open german consumers are to some of these new food tech products mm. Because from a culinary point of view, Germany has a, has a very, very old culinary tradition, much, much older than the United States. Um, it's, you have very specific types of things that are eaten, traditional recipes, traditional uh, ways of making you know, cheeses and meats and, and beers and things like that. One of the things that makes an American audience um, almost more open to new types of food trends is that our um, culinary history is very diverse. It varies greatly from region to region, and it's also very young because the United States is such a young country. We, we don't have hundreds and hundreds and hundreds of years of, of food history. So having new things is kind of interesting and exciting, and discovery is really a part of the American culinary value system. Is it harder to get consumers in Germany to try new things? Do we need the impossible burgers and the, the tech versions of things to keep people in that comfort zone? Could you sell a, a cricket protein bar in Germany? Yeah, that's, uh, that's a very, very difficult question because I would say the food landscape in Germany is also very, very diversified. You have to imagine Germany in the middle of Europe. There are a lot of uh, uh, influences from, from countries around us. And uh, basically in my hometown, Dusseldorf, there's the biggest Japanese, uh, um, uh, Japanese um, how do I say, uh, group uh, outside from or in, in, in Germany and we have so many Japanese restaurants there we have so many Turkish restaurants there Croatian restaurants etc etc so I would say um, it depends really on the area of course we have on the landscape people that are more and more looking into to traditional food but we have also this big melting pots like Berlin, Munich, Hamburg and, and of course uh, also the Rhineland where I come from so there's a certain open mind for for new food products and especially for culinary products the big question is how do we or what what how uh, will it look like with this kind of really new food um um how do i say food food assortments like uh, into food or like in vitro meat and there it's um, i think very very difficult because um the germans in my point of view are not that functional uh, in their in in their buying um, 
um, attitude there. So that means, uh, for example, in in bar like EXO, the EXO bar, you can really sell as a very functional nutritional value product into the market. Um, you can eat it on a run, and it's the same with Soylent and and this kind of products. In Germany, it's get it gets really really difficult because in Germany, food itself is not that uh, expensive, and so you can easily go into a discounter and buy for a small amount of money. You can buy an already something and so there's not really this big need for for having this kind of pure functional products but i think the functional product is also based in a style of life in the united states that is extremely time constrained so there is a financial component to functional food it's perhaps less expensive or easier for me to buy a bar or powder or something or um you know, alternative protein. But also increasingly people want to be able to carry their food with them or carry a meal with them and be able to eat on the subway or on the go or before the gym or right after the gym or in the car. Um, People have increasingly um, seemingly less time to eat, although we have more opportunities for restaurants and food as entertainment, but actually... Shopping, cooking, creating, sitting down and eating is more an, a time economy, I think, than an, as much as a, an economic economy. You prob- do, you, do you have a similar um, social habit or need around eating in a short period of time or eating on the go? Um, I think the eating on a go, and I totally agree with, with what you said. This is also what I saw in the last uh, in the last three days, and every time I'm here, of course you have it also in in, in cities like Frankfurt and 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 and, and Munich, etc. This is on the go habit, etc. But on the other hand, um, you have a very, very, very social food culture. The people and uh, food and entertainment gets more and more closer together, and you try and um, this. Uh, is exactly the time-consuming component. You try to com- combine the event experience with, or the the, the, the social component of uh, of sitting together. Um, uh, also, of course, with food and places where you where food is celebrated, where where you get some some um, 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 music around, etc. Like Markthalle 9, for example, in Berlin, a place where many people from different kind of cultures come together and they eat together etc and it's it's celebrated in a very authentic environment you have the kumpel and keule for example where you have um, from nose to tail stuff there's also a lot of education going on and this space is becoming more and more relevant in, in germany this is absolutely important because it gets food and higher value again and this is and, and again emotional <laughs> and social value and this is um, what I'm really looking into. This is a very, very good um, good um, a trend. But on the other hand, um, functionally spoken again, you have also a big trend that goes online, uh, the online ordering, the e-food, as we call it in Germany. That, that's goes. also time efficient. You don't have to spend the time to go out and yeah. shop and you can shop whenever you want, wherever you want, often mm-hmm. on your phone if you're on the subway or you know at your office. And sometimes... It depends on what the online marketplace is or what the transaction is. Sometimes shopping online means a savings mm. economically, and sometimes it means paying a premium yeah. for shopping online. Yeah. In both instant both both instances exist. 
Yeah, in, in the past I had a an, an, an theory that I said, um, um, in, you, you say in Germany, um, in the in the morning you eat very well, in the midday you eat like a an, like an king and in the evening like a farmer. And my theory was that uh, it uh, turns now vice versa, that you get in the morning you eat just a small muesli or something like that. In the in in the midday you eat something okay what what gets you um, a bit better feeling but in the evening you have really the social component and then you eat really like a like a king or and this is something um, I'm 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 looking into or where I see some kind of trend going on and of course um, to to um, to serve the 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 morning and the midday you need some kind of services you need uh, online delivery etc that you have something at home that you can prepare your muesli etc but the outgoing consumption in the evening i think this is something that will increase within the within the next years definitely yeah well we are going to take a quick break to find out who the amazing sponsor is of this show <laughs> Did you know that Heritage Radio is a 501c3 nonprofit? All of the hosts do our shows as labors of love, and we subsist entirely on members like you and our sponsors to keep the lights on and the mics hot. Stay with us. One Hundred Bogart Street is finally open and ready for Bushwick. One Hundred Bogart is a brand new, state-of-the-art co-working space that provides turnkey workspaces, including open layout desks, meeting spaces, and furnished private offices. Members have access to top-notch amenities such as custom furniture, high-speed internet, spacious kitchenettes with coffee and tea, printers, scanners, and much more. Alongside their professional work environment, 100 Bogart also provides exclusive educational programming for any curious entrepreneur. Heritage Radio Network has made their new office home at 100 Bogart and will host many events there in the future. For more information about their co-working space, visit 100bogart.com and become a member to network, create, and educate. Well, if you're just joining us and you're wondering what the hell you clicked on, this is Tech Bites, the weekly show on the Heritage Radio Network, where we talk about the intersection of food and technology. Do you have a favorite piece of food tech, recipe, product, app you would like us to cover on the show? Reach out and get in touch. We are very interactive. You can email us, techbytes at heritageradionetwork.org. You can find us on social media at Tech Bytes HRN. We're on Twitter, Facebook, and Instagram. Today we are talking with Fabio Simpson, who's the Director of Food Innovation at the Metro Group in Germany. He is visiting the U.S. this week on a little fact-finding mission to see what our food tech scene is all about. If you would like to follow him on Twitter, you can follow him at Fabio Simpson, which is F-A-B-I-O. Z-I-E-M-S-S-E-N. And on Instagram, he is at food underscore hunter underscore. And that's hunter H-U-N-T-R. He's also involved in an interesting um, startup, startup product trial in a retail environment, which is something very interesting. It is the nx-food.com. And 
we talked about this a little bit earlier in the week. You you perceive yourself really as being a translator between food tech companies and the retail consumer space. Tell us a little bit about what NX Food is doing because it's an it's an interesting idea to give both uh, food tech companies an opportunity to have an arena where they can really try out and test their ideas and see if they're right. And it also gives consumers an opportunity to have a look at things that they might not otherwise see. Yeah, of course. Um, the um, the idea of NX Food uh, uh, came um, uh, basically one year ago when we discovered that the first in-store farm that we established with the Berlin-based startup InFarm in Berlin was more like a uh, customer com- or a customer dialogue platform that we created there. So two and a half years, um, we installed the first in-store farming, so a vertical farm in, in uh, one of our stores in Berlin. And when the people came into the store and they saw the purple light, they were thinking, hey, is Metro now doing um, um, genetic modified food? And then we had a really good platform to explain our customers, no, this is vertical farming, you get really good products, this is the cleanest way of producing basil, etc. And if you have special wishes, we can grow a different kind of leaves there. And it was a really, really good place to communicate and to explain why it's so necessary to look into food technology in, in this kind of new food solutions. Uh, etc. And of course, it had had also a marketing effect. But for us, in the first way, it was really to create an, a good platform where we had a reason to talk with our um, with our customers about new food trends. And um, as we spoke, um, um, there are also in the CPG and FMCG space a lot of new food products uh, coming up. And then um, we said, okay, what is the right solution? to also create a platform for these young startups because for them it's always very, very difficult to get in the retail-ready stage, as we call it. Um, And so I said, okay, um, together with our sales lines in Germany, Real and Metro, um, we um, set up different kind of shelves in in, in stores and um, startups, they have the opportunity to apply for space in those shelves. And um, so we received a lot of applications for this first Batch, and in the end, we had a really, really diversified um, um, uh, assortment there in our shelves. And now um, the startups had the chance to, for uh, over three months listing, to test how they product perform in a retail environment. And this is quite new because we did also a lot of customer research. We we gave the startups the chance to make testings in the in the store to to talk to our customers and in Metro. We know every customer who's buying in our stores because <coughs> we are um, addressing professional customers. They need a uh, card to enter in our stores, and so we had also the chance to make an N- NPS based. Uh, net promoter score based um, um, dialogue um, or a questionnaire with them and now we are able to um, give all the feedback to our to our to our startups and to explain to them why it's um, uh, too early to to scale with us in all of our stores or um, we have an, um, we can say okay now it's time to go in the next 10 stores or into the next 20 stores and this is a very very good way to help startups to scale up to to get a better feeling to the market how they can communicate their products etc and um, it's yeah. it's very different to have an idea 
and a deck and a prototype. Yes, definitely. <laughs> and have it in a sort of closed environment yeah. of your company, investors, and people who are extremely familiar with the space. Yeah. And then the general public who maybe is not as familiar in keeping up with the different trends and you know the different ideas. I'll ask you, what were some of the really most unusual, interesting products that you've put through this program? Is there anything that you thought was so crazy people would not like it and they wound up loving it? Is there something that you thought would be a home run that, of course, it will work and maybe it didn't? Yeah, at the moment we have uh, a hemp-based lemonade that's going like hell because... Uh, a hemp-based lemonade? Yes, yes. Okay. Yeah. So um, people are, are interested in it or we have a popcorn that tastes like chips and uh, and or we have uh, um, 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 protein or it's, it's not protein bar in Germany, you say muesli bar <laughs> um, and this tastes... Um, uh, it's, it has different kind of taste, but not sweet taste. It tastes like Asian, etc. So these are also uh, new products that we have. Then we have um, um, different kinds of um, um, yeah um, liquors that we also test. So it is al always um, um, a mixture between really new food trending topics, but also sometimes um, very authentic topics. A new 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 gin could it also be? But we are trying to find. Um, the right balance and um, now in the next level we have also a partnership with um, the Start Life, the incubator of the University of Wageningen or the German Institute for Food Technology so we are now looking more and more into early stage IP um, and to help them to commercialize and there of course we have some really really interesting things coming up but for me at the first point um, it was um, um, very very important to establish um, um, the whole program itself. And um, this is what I'm doing with my team to establish this kind of tool besides um, other projects that we are working on uh, under the Annex Food Brand, really uh, projects where we are looking like new food technologies uh, like vertical farming. So we have so many um, food tech entrepreneurs on this show, many who are working in actual new food products, what would you say some of the big challenges are that you see in food startup companies? I'm sure that you see the same things over and over again. What, what kind of advice would you give to people who are starting off on a product? Um, I'm uh, to get as much customer feedback as possible. There's, uh, I w just want to give you one example. We have uh, products that uh, used to sell their product in the first way online. But online, you have uh, you can really create a story, you can tell a story, etc. That's um, sometimes the reason why you are not so um, looking much looking into the packaging of your product. But when your product is in the shelf, uh, besides thousands of other products, then it's really important to have uh, the right packaging that can tell your story within... A blink of an eye. Sorry for <laughs> snipping. No, sound effects uh, are great. Yeah. <laughs> sound effects are very good on radio. And um, uh, so it's quite easy to to um, or it's it you you must really have an appealing product. And of course, the scalability is also very important. It's not the best if you are talking to the biggest retailer and say, "Hey, I want to have you uh, be listed in 40, 50 stores at one time," because you need to also. Um, build up your whole distribution network. You have to build your uh, scalability in production, etc. So it's always good to have this kind of smooth growing 
um, and more uh, looking into quality and in, in brand building, etc. Before you really start like uh, like this, and this is what we are trying to achieve with our program. So we talk about the retail environment, and you talk about helping uh, startups translate from the startup stage into the retail market. Yeah. In the digital age of online shopping, and you just talked about new products creating a, a very good brand story online. How important is the real-life experience? Is it important for a new product to think about a physical four-wall brick-and-mortar retail experience? As long as the retailer um, changes itself. So I'm often asked, hey, Fabio, will the retailers uh, with their brick-and-mortar infrastructure still exist in 10 to 15 years? And I'm saying, yeah, this is a very, very good question because there are a lot of competitors from other areas like logistics companies, like software companies entering into the market. We have marketplaces online, etc. They bring demand and offer together. And um, there's just one reason where I think, hey, it's absolutely important that there are still brick-and-mortar places. It's the same with uh, meetup.com. Of course, I can be part of an online community, but it's the best way to have a real-life experience. And this is the same what I think about food. If you can uh, show a 360 food world with production, with uh, f uh, food manufacturing, etc., at one place, it makes food really uh, as a life experience. And it gets more and more important when we are talking about food tech because food tech is sometimes or often very explanatory. You, you really need to um, explain it. And this is, again, the example of um, our in-store farm. Um, now we have the opportunity to explain uh, in a store why these kind of products are so important. Of course, you can show it online, but with the test, with the multi-sensory uh, uh, approach, um, it's easier to have a place where I can go, where I can discover, where I can identify new products. And this is how I see retail in the future. More not like a retail place, uh, one face to the customer, buying stuff, selling stuff. More like coming to a place and really experience food, experience humanity. <laughs> so more than a traditional shopping experience where you would go and you'd grab a cart and you'd walk the aisles and you'd put things into your basket something a little more experiential where you're perhaps there just to try things or eat things and meet with people, maybe more, you know, a, a hybrid of going out, coffee shop, meeting, eating, drinking, possibly buying yes. sort of a hybrid retail space. Yeah, the hybrid or there was this um, 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 double-decker store concept uh, that I heard from uh, in the past two years that you have really this experience space uh, um, and in the first floor and in the second floor, all the commodity products <coughs> I package while you are experience uh, food in the in the, in the in the first floor. I like the Marktal concept of uh, in Rotterdam, uh, where you have really a big Marktal, and there's a store under this Marktal where you can really buy everything. But on the first floor, there's the real food experience. There's everything. You can eat tapas. They are playing music there. You go through and this is a place where I totally get lost. <laughs> well, it's actually interesting the way that you describe it. It sounds like a very old traditional market in Europe. You know, it sounds like the Bocaria in Barcelona or Leal in Paris where you have the stalls and the people selling, but you can sit and you can eat and you can try the products and there's a atmosphere and 
people there doing business and also meeting and shopping on a wholesale level and a personal level. Oftentimes, I think that technology is driving us forward to take us back to (laughs) sort of more fundamental real life experiences in, in some ways. Yeah, this is. I, I think technology is a very, very important driver because I will now name the, the the number that everybody is nowadays talking in his pitch deck that we have 10 million people in 2050 living on this planet, and 70 percent are living in cities, etc., cetera, etc. Cetera. So technology can help us to have this food experience that is missing nowadays, and that we still have it when we are so many people uh, on this planet, because at the moment the um, um, the the point of production and the point of consumption they are so far away from each other that the people have totally lost the connection to 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 food where it comes from etc and this is why they are really looking into this experience and um now we have the technology now we are have many many different kind of 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 new developments that we can bridge this cap again that we can as, um, that we can show that coffee waste for example is used to build mushrooms that we can have circular economy uh, systems going on i'm a really big believer in the use uh, the biomass reusage this is something it's, it's a topic i can talk hours about <laughs> <laughs> because i really yeah well one interesting thing that you mentioned though is that people are disconnected from where their food comes from and and that certainly is the case for a, a segment of the population i wonder if people are disconnected from where their food comes from, if that would make it easier to change people from a chicken that comes from a farm to a chicken that comes from a laboratory. If at the end of the day, people aren't paying that much attention to where it comes from and they just go to the market and get their packet of chicken, does it matter to them if it comes from a laboratory or a farm if they're not paying attention? I mean, disconnection could actually be helpful in transitioning people into newer types of products and productions if they're not attached to something? Yeah, this is a, this is a really good question. This could be one way uh, to talk about really clean food, uh, that we are saying, okay, lab-grown meat is the cleanest food without antibiotica, etc., etc. And if the people want to stay with the uh, eating experience uh, of, 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 of meat and don't have uh, the, the, the picture of a an, of an chicken running around in a farm, then it's maybe the the right way. Maybe you just discovered the right way how to communicate uh, in vitro meat. But um, I think um, um, if the people are um, eating meat in the future, it will be more like, okay, meat becomes something really, really special. And I believe that we have the right plant-based solutions that will conquer into the world of chicken nuggets that we have at the moment and uh, not... Um, uh, in vitro, but I can also it can be also in vitro if it's really in the communicated in a very clean way. It's the same way communicated as we do it with vertical farming products that they are really grown in the best uh, environment you can imagine for a plant. Then maybe it's uh, the right way. Well, we'll see. I'm sure that there's probably different storylines to communicate to different segments of the market. I mean, if yeah. you're a good marketer, you're going to tailor your messaging. Yeah to the different media channels and to your different audience groups. Before we go, because we're just about out of time, I'll just ask you really quickly, Fabio, what were the things that you found that were exactly the same in the food tech space from Germany to the U.S.? And then 
what were the things that you find that are very different? Um, yeah, what I discovered is, uh, for example, in the topic of vertical farming, there's a lot. It's it's uh, uh, there. Yeah, a lot of things that are developed here are on the same level as we have in Germany. We have a very strong university, for example, the university in Wageningen in in, in Netherlands where they are looking into food processing since, or food technology since uh, 15 years or something like this. So, um, But on the other hand, we have really melting pots like Berlin, where people are also looking into this kind of food. Here in, uh, in the US, everything seems to be so much more on a really large scale. When I was at the Pfizer building uh, yesterday, it, there are so many companies at one place building something really big. And also uh, what Foodworks is doing there on a really, really large scale. And to find this kind of solutions that are thinking in, in a scalability and thinking in, in, in such a big market is something that's really difficult to find in, 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 in Europe because in Europe you have so many countries, I mean, on, on the same area, but most of the people are first thinking, okay, Germany or first Italy and for, for maybe Italy and then Austria, etc., etc., But here, when you're talking to food entrepreneurs, they say East Coast, West Coast, and then they uh, showing you Austin, Boston, etc., where they want to expand. And this is always uh, thinking in a very, very big way. And this is what I what I like about um, the entrepreneurs here. They always think big. Yeah. Well, we definitely do think big in America. <laughs> that's that's one of our things. Yeah. That's what we do. <laughs> Interestingly, we did a show over the summer uh, episode. 101, Vive la Food Tech, and we had some French tech companies who were in New York City come on the show. Um, it was our first bilingual episode. We did the first half in English and the second half in French. But the interesting thing about that was the companies that we had on the show were developing tech products for the U.S. market. Not so much for the French market, not necessarily for the European market, but specifically for the American market because it's so big. Yeah which I thought was interesting. So I want to thank Fabio Siesman for coming on the show all the way from Germany. You'll have to keep in touch with us and let us know when you're back in town and what some of the big food tech stories are from Europe. Thanks for having me here. It was really a pleasure. If you are listening and would like to have a real-life food tech experience tonight, January 25th at 6.30 p.m., I am moderating a panel at General Assembly in Manhattan called Tech and Food. It starts at 6.30 p.m. It's a free event. We'll be talking with a few CEO and founders of food tech companies about what's happening in the space, and we will have a great Q&A session at the end. So bring your questions and your queries You can register for that event at generalassemble.ly, and that's generalassemble.ly. Again, it's a free event, but registration required. Also coming up on Monday, February 5th next week, Pineapple, the women's communities centered around culinary and food. They're out of D.C., but they are coming to New York for the first time on Monday, February 5th. They're doing a great event at Haven's Kitchen. You can check them out and get more information at pineapplecollaborative.com. If you like the show, come back and see us next week, Thursday at 11 a.m. If you love it, go to iTunes and Stitcher Radio, subscribe, and leave us a five-star review. If you can't live without it, go to heritageradionetwork.org, click the beating heart, 
send us maybe what you spent on coffee today. Designate your donation to Tech Bytes, and I will send you a gift along with my undying love. I'm Jennifer Leitzi, and this is Tech Bytes. Thanks for listening to Heritage Radio Network, food radio supported by you. For our freshest content and to hear about exclusive events, subscribe to our newsletter. Enter your email at the bottom of our website, heritageradionetwork.org. Connect with us on Facebook, Instagram, and Twitter at heritage underscore radio. Heritage Radio Network is a nonprofit organization driving conversations to make the world a better, fairer, more delicious place. And we couldn't do it without support from listeners like you. Want to be a part of the food world's most innovative community? Rate the shows you like, tell your friends, and please join our community by becoming a member. Just click on the beating heart at the top right of our homepage. Thanks for listening.